Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Behind the Racket pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now. We should point out um, it, it's, it's kind of important at this point uh, in our lives. We have to mention when we're recording this. This will be released on Monday morning. We are recording this Saturday afternoon. Um, it is, I, I say that because it is pre-Trump rally here uh, a couple miles away from me. Mm. Um, I've been keeping up to date on what's happening via the Tulsa World's uh, website. It appears that six Trump staffers who have been setting everything up have already tested positive for COVID. Uh, you, you joking? No. Um, <laughs> the masses who have been waiting outside... Uh, are all, it, it, I shouldn't say all, probably about 75% unmasked. Um, we are, there have already been protests. People pulled out of line um, because they had tickets, but pulled out of line because they were wearing I Can't Breathe shirts. Um, and it is local time, 3 o'clock, and we've still got a couple, two or three hours uh, before we get to the rally. So that's why I mentioned that, because uh, shit could get real here in uh, Tulsa in the next couple of hours. I hope not. Um, as I said on Twitter earlier today, I'm hoping that we're at least peaceful and then we have to deal with the ramifications of COVID. But, um, you know, the, the one thing that's keeping me warm um, is the fact that uh, Getty went to Noah Rubin and said, hey, we need some images. And um, they got lots of photos, uh, including topless ones, uh, of my good friend, and podcast host Noah Rubin. Uh, this comes on the heels Dude. of you um, 
taking the time to call the number one player in the world and effing a and so then twitter uh i did not okay here we go we gotta start this let it let it go explode also people are just like why are we taking topless photos of this (laughs) nobody here (laughs) so first of all as i had a just a relaxing bonfire with my good friend maxwell yes max as you know him um and we're thinking about just different ways so he did frame um one of his favorite quotes for me in the past for my birthday Mm. framed it very nicely noah rubin is a stupid bitch Mm. it was one of his favorite tweets always got him so but there's a lot more there's a lot out there especially with the novak fans now um now with the getty images because that's all I wanted. What I wanted to get out of this was a photo shoot with Getty Images. So I win. I win at Novak number one, two, four. Julie Novak. I mean, like, it is, it's so comical. Um, but yeah, no, I think a lot of things have happened since we released that podcast. And there was a lot of questions to be had. And some people for, some people against. The thing that bothered me about all of it is that Mm -hmm. it seemed like there were people who were extrapolating your comment about the Zoom call, et cetera, to Noah Rubin hates Novak. Noah Rubin thinks Novak is a horrible human being. It's it's (laughs) that extrapolation that bothers me because I, 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 for one, I, I didn't agree with him not being on that Zoom call. You and I both know he has done other things along along the last couple of years to try and do more for players who are at lower levels in some way, shape, or form. But I really strongly disagreed with that not being there for that player council meeting. And I think that's what it was for you. You just maybe said it with more vulgarity. Right. No, 100%. I mean, people were super offended that I cursed and, you know, no cussing here. We don't do that. So that was the first part. The second part was everybody think thought that a lot of my cursing was directed at him when it really not all of it could have been because we were talking about the phone call for most of it. He wasn't on the call. That was towards the end. What when we were talking about like when I said shut the fuck up and stuff yeah. like that. That was all toward the the top of the players that um you know we're talking about that they needed four people on their entourage that they couldn't play a tournament. You know, those were, you know, so when people start, obviously, you know, the best part about this, I had four different people that after I, you know, responded to them said, well, I'm just taking it from other interviews. I actually didn't even listen to the podcast. I'm like, so what are you even saying? Like, why are you here right now? If you can't even take the time, if you're going to shit on my life and me as a person and which they Hitler should should have, which they should. And believe me, I know that. But how do they know that? <laughs> So if you're going to take the time, at least be educated, at least do your due diligence. I mean, for God's sakes, half of this, you know, they were just taking it from, you know, grasping at straws. They're like, well, it's just a Zoom call and you can't win a match. I was like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. I know I can't win a match. I was trying this. (laughs) I was just trying. I tried hard this year. I played pretty well towards the end. But like, again, they're they're, there. You know, the Novak fans are a really close knit group of people. And they were just extrapolating from like left, right, and center. I was like, that's not what I said. I said what he was doing with the tour, I think, was definitely taking risks. And if you can't agree with that on even 1% level, we probably have a problem. And then also was, this is, you know, I was taking a guess. It was a pretty good guess that this is the largest meeting in ATP history to get 400 plus people on the same call. And they're like, it's just a Zoom call. I'm like, 
when do we ever have the chance to get 400 players, the ATP and the US Open on a call at the same time? You show face for 30 seconds. Yeah. And then they're like, well, soccer was the day after. It wasn't during the... I'm just like, priorities, man. Like, if he could prioritize to play soccer the next day, he can get on a call for two minutes the day before. Yeah. I'm just, you know, so that was that. Um, I, I, you know, I, All I, kidding aside, though, um, I'm a sensitive person, and if people shat upon me as they shat upon you, I would be struggling. Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Yeah, no, more than fine. Um, I've had a lot of support from the people people's opinions that matter most okay. to me if that makes sense you know again Novak fan number one you know it's annoying but once we get past the first thing I'm just like you're not even your own person on Twitter I think I can get past your opinion right now um you know people that you know I was getting texts from players and, and they're like thank you for speaking yeah. out and that's really what we did is and what we were talking about is if we don't use this platform that we have to at least talk about certain situations that we feel very passionate about, it's true belief and facts backing it up, we're doing a disservice. This is a platform that needs to be, it's built upon that. Behind the Racket was built upon giving voices to players that don't have one necessarily as well. So I felt that, you know, if this wasn't spoken about, of course I was more frustrated than most people have seen me in a while, especially not on court, then, you know, I get it. You know, it came out a certain way and then I get that it could be sounded disrespectful, but... To a certain point, I feel like I've, you know, players around my ranking, we've been disrespected the whole time. So I'm sorry that Novak was cursed at for a second. I'm sorry that I didn't go directly to him. He wasn't answering my texts. The contact wasn't there for a while. So it's just like, where, when do we speak up? Is there no time? And so, you know, we're at this point now where I feel no regrets for what took place. That was what was needed. And I think it got the conversation going. You mentioned support from people who matter to you. Um, the podcast has received some great support this week as well. So I want to thank those of you who have hopped on to patreon.com slash behind the racket pod. Um, I got to run through these. No, I hope you don't mind. Just, yes, please. Uh, you know, you can go swear to yourself in the background for whatever reason you need to. Uh, Karen... <laughs> Karen Pastena, and Karen, I apologize if I'm saying your name wrong, but Karen uh, uh, from Tennis Panorama News, thank you so much for your support, Andrew Juge. You know Andrew, right? Uh, down in Charlottesville. Oh, oh Andrew. He does, uh, <laughs> he does a podcast of his own. Uh, it's about the New Orleans Saints. He is actually, and Wait, actually? this is true. Uh, I've stayed in Andrew's house, so I do know this to be true. He and his wife, um, Elizabeth, who are just fantastic people. Uh, they do a, he's a, he's one of those bloggers about the saints who has turned that into, he is an expert on the saints. And so he's part of a group of two or three guys who have done a saints podcast. It is like the place that people actually go for saints information. That's not like, you know, the new Orleans newspaper and crap like that. It, he's the guy. He's he is that so I, dude. I can test him yes. and like without he's just he's on, on top. He knows of it. Ev yeah everything Saints. Wow. But Andrew uh, hopped on to Patreon.com/slash Behind the Racket Pod to support us. And and if you have Thank the you. opportunity and you're a Saints fan, um, look him up on Twitter. They have a Patreon as well <laughs> for their podcast. Ronnie Adams, thank you so much for your support. Costin Fink and Ronile C. Thank you all for hopping on and, and supporting us at patreon.com slash behind the racket pot.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The big thing that we wanted to talk about here today and what obviously was um, kind of what we, we knew was coming uh, when we released the pod last week is uh, the U.S. Open. Yes. It is occurring not too far away from where you live, Mr. Rubin. Um, yes. This has been a, a difficult decision for the USTA. There's no way around that. Um, they have received both praise and a hefty amount of criticism for their decision to continue moving forward with the U.S. Open. You um, are amongst the players who would be in qualifying. However, there is no qualifying. Um, I know you have talked with several people, um, uh, uh, several of your peers. I've heard from several of them as well. Your your thoughts and, and your feelings and your emotions, knowing that you won't get to play without the help of a wild card this year's U.S. Open. I get it. I mean, these are insane times. So I don't think people actually look at it from a business point of view. Of course, I'm upset that there's, you know, a very good chance I might not be playing the US Open for the first time in many years. But then you're looking at it and you're like, if there is no US Open, they have zero dollars. Right. Zero. There is no tournaments. They can't help the players. They can't do anything. So when I'm looking at this and I'm looking at like the USA actually caring and trying to a, give us a check for missing out on it, and B, give us opportunities such as challengers around the world as well from the money that you know they would be saving or whatever the case may be, or they'd be actually gaining from holding the tournament in the first place. But you know, people are just looking at the negative, and this is coming from a cynic, as we all know. And I'm just like, do you guys not see? Like, these are the only people actually looking out. And you know, I've I've heard talks about Roland Garros and. They're like, yeah, we're having a tournament. There's going to be qualifying. We have like 25 hotels. I'm like, are you worried about anything? I know it's a little bit different of a situation, but are you prepared? So I'm looking at this and I'm like, the US Open, they're working their fucking asses off to enable this to run as smoothly as possible. And I get it. The wheelchair situation, that was fucked. They shouldn't have a little more communication with them. I understand that. But on the other end, like they're doing what they can. They're doing what they can. You know, then you talk about Cincy and everything. But when they were saying to create another safe bubble for the qualifiers to play and then to leave before the main draw players come in, I think they underestimated the budgeting for that. So it was it was going to be a tremendous undertaking. And when I'm looking at that, I'm like, guys, first, I'm telling them to look at this from the bright point of view where you're going to get cash and possibly an opportunity to play. I get it. For some countries, it's very difficult, but there is no winning during this time period. 
you can only do as as well as you can during pandemic protests and bushfires of 2020. You're, you're just trying to make it through unscathed. So understand that to a certain extent. And when I'm talking to people, I'm like, hey, guys, these are two tournaments, U.S. Open and French, two tournaments. We should be focusing on what happens after that. September 30th or October comes around, October 1st comes around. Where are we? Where are we in the tennis world? I think that's what we need to be focusing on and stop harping on, you know, qualifying or not. I get it. It sucks. But that's everything sucks right now. How is the how has the points situation for qualifiers been explained to you so far in terms of understanding? You mentioned the money, but understanding how you will be compensated on the points side for not getting the opportunity to play. And this is another thing. I mean, you know, they're talking about making I don't know, like 125 challengers. I didn't know what it was because I know there's no Oracle, but um, it's actually more points in those challengers than there are in qualities. So yes, are we losing our eight guys or 16 guys, losing the opportunity to get into main draw and get substantial points? Yeah, but like you send me one of these tournaments, that's the same as winning first round of main draw. So, you know, when you're looking at that, again, I'm like, the US Open get it. They feel bad. They wish they could, you know, make this work. They're doing whatever it takes and they're giving us a check for not even playing and then opportunities. And again, I get not everybody's going to be able to play, but there's thought. I'm like, what is tennis going to be after these? These are just two tournaments. And with these being held, that's the bare minimum. That's not like the max. Like if this is held, everything's fine, dandy. Tennis is in a perfect place. This is like, if this doesn't take place, we're screwed. And if it does, we're like scraping by. What happens after this? That's what I think we should be talking to ATP about. No more. Like, stop bringing up the Open. Let the Open take care of it. Let us focus on the rest of the stuff that, like, we're going to be talking about ATPs and 250s and now the Oracle. Like, we don't have tennis. Yeah, for those... What happens after For this? those who didn't hear, uh, Alice Gruskin, our, our friend at Crack Rackets, broke the story that Oracle is pulling out of, of the, the tennis business as far as we know it in terms of the challengers and the futures that they've set up over the last couple of years, which will definitely have an impact here um, in the States on, on just the total number of opportunities. And that's the thing. You know, Ryan Harrison um, actually had that that really good tweet, and I'm sorry, I don't actually have it up in front of me, but just talking about how... I might have missed it. Um, essentially, this is, this is how... A, he didn't actually mention this, but I mean, you've got hundreds of people who are going to be able to continue being employed because of this. B, you have the opportunity next year to make sure that challengers and futures in the U.S. are funded um, in some way, shape or form from a national basis. That's crucial. In terms of developing young American talent, that is crucial. Um, so here's the other thing, though. You have players, I saw it actually on Twitter uh, last night, so Friday night into Saturday morning, um, the the Australian players, it was Millman, Duckworth, and some someone else just talking about, you know, I, 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 you know why should we even come look at the, the situation in the States? It's a mess. Mm -hmm. They're not wrong. You know, no. obviously, <laughs> uh, obviously the U.S., we have completely fucked up the, the, the response nationally to COVID. Um, New mm -hmm. York is actually in a pretty good place right now. Um, but you think about Australia, the players down there having to make a 20 hour journey to New York, um, trapped on planes and in a, in a face mask for 20 hours. Um, that is a, that's to possibly quarantine as correct. well. That is, so we're that's a, really what, go ahead. you know, just to specify, um, 
you know, not everything's a hundred percent. We got basically the go ahead to plan the U.S. Open, but if things aren't lifted by a certain time, it's very well that the U.S. Open's canceled. Mm. So we're still at a place, and we are next week just going into phase three, which I believe is indoor dining. So you talk about two, three weeks after that to see where New York New York actually lands up. And I mean, I'm looking at my friends in the Hamptons. Everybody's two inches away from each mm. other. I'm curious, like, you know, we're, we're taking a gamble of what things are going to be like, and we don't know. We don't know. And that, that's, that's you know, that's something that the U.S. Open has to, you know, worry about. But on my end, I'm like, you know, we're just wasting time. We're just wasting. Let the U.S. Open figure it out. Let the French Open figure it out. If they can't and they have a tournament, let's say, then you do it on your own terms. But let, let us work on something. Let us evolve. Let us try new things because... You know, the, the talk and the tweets about the U.S. Open and everything like that is just wasting time and, and wasting effort on something that truly we have no control over. If you were 120 in the world, yes. would you fly to Australia next week to take part in the Australian Open? I don't, you know what? I asked that question and then I just realized it's not fair. Down in Australia, they are doing well. I mean, that's... You know, let's that's, say the situation was similar. Yeah. Let's say the situation was the yeah. opposite. Would you fly down there? Um, it's tough. It's really tricky. I mean, you're talking about, you know, it's tough because I'm in my own financial head, not 120 <laughs> right, world right, financial right. head. But, you know, you're talking about, you know, $50,000, $60,000, which apparently is not enough for some players. But you're talking about $50,000, $60,000. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you take that chance I, I don't know I, I don't know it's a difficult thing to put in perspective obviously when i'm thinking about it i'm talking about a 20 minute drive to usca right. you know but uh that's a difficult thing you know the the concern comes like how does quarantine work after that can we go to the french after that right. what is you know that's why we're going to see players i think not play the open to just play French right. open. You know, we're going to see a lot of those players say like, why take a risk to go to New York when, you know, the French is my slam anyway. That's kind of what I want to prepare for. Um, we have places like Argentina. We have places like that, that have the travel ban until September. We don't know if they can show up at mm -hmm. all, regardless of how New York goes. They are only allowed outside. I think I've heard rumors, haven't looked it up, so don't quote me, but like, they only get like two hours outside a day at times. Like it's like really strict. So you're looking at that like, and I was asking the open and they said, yeah, if, if some countries can't come, we still have the tournament. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing because this is larger. You know, they, they let go 130 people. They want to make sure that that doesn't happen in vain basically. And you know, it's, it's meant for something. Um, but what about you? I mean, what, how would you find yourself in this situation? Even where you are yeah. now, do you fly to Australia? Yeah, I can't, I, I've, been thinking about that a lot this week i really have yeah. um i i could tell you that i wouldn't if it, the situations were reversed i don't think i would go right now um and their their medical situation their covid situation was much worse i don't think i would go um mm -hmm. just because my daughter means too much to me i'm a little bit more of an advanced age than you so i'm a i, I mean technically more at risk plus i'm fat um that doesn't help <laughs> um the whiskey burns it out don't <laughs> worry I <laughs> it's all rub you know that um, but I, 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 I will say I wouldn't, I don't blame a single player for not coming. I don't blame a single person. If they just don't feel safe, if they don't feel comfortable, 
I have no qualms with anyone saying that. I also don't have qualms or problems with somebody saying I will go. Um, I think that's the thing is it's not, this is far from black and white. This is very gray. And I think we have been conditioned so much over the last few years, especially that things are either right or they are wrong. This is our nature right now that it's either this way or that way. You're on one side. And that's it. And this is one of those issues that is incredibly gray. Um, and there's going to be different responses that are right for different people. I, you know, it comes down to what was the largest issue was when we found out that points were connected to broadcasting mm -hmm. rights. Once you're saying that if you don't play this event, not only will you lose points from last year, you also won't get the opportunity to gain points. You know, that you can't put a dollar figure on what that means. You don't know how many tournaments you will drop out of. Maybe you don't get into three Masters 1000 main draws because of that now. Whatever the case may be, there is no dollar figure you could put on that. And I think that's where the problems came with the ESPN broadcasting rights says for legitimacy reasons and for the ATP and Grand Slam connection, there must be ATP points. And that's why they allowed them to be larger twice the size of any ATP event, sanctioned event. So for winning an ATP at the 1,000, it's 1,000 points. For winning a Grand Slam, it's 2,000 points. So that that is really what came down to the issues that lied because we couldn't make it a large prize money tournament. We couldn't just tell people, hey, you're going to lose out of a shit ton of money, but that's okay. Like You could make that. If you're making a shit ton of money already, you can live with yourself. But now if this might set you up poorly for 2020, let's sing, let's say... Indian Wells 2020 comes around and you're not in Maine anymore or you're not seated, you don't know dollar figure wise and points wise how that truly affects you. Uh, on top of it, uh, you just the 2021 calendar and, and how that's going to be set up, There's you just don't know anymore. I mean, you just don't have that understanding of what that's going to be. I Australia is already preparing. Yeah, I, I mentioned as well, I, I hope that the ATP and WTA both come up with solutions for players who don't feel comfortable coming in terms of points. Um, because I, again, with it being such a, it's not going to happen. I understand that it probably isn't, yeah. but I, I, I think it's unfair to require somebody in Australia to fly 20 hours to a place where they're not comfortable with their health, health conditions I, I I don't know how you my uh, I don't yeah, know how you yeah. require somebody to do that and say eh, tough shit. I don't know how you do that. My my problem my problems are definitely less with Australia and more like in Argentina where they literally sure. have okay. travel bans and you're looking like even if I wanted to I can't. Like this is not on me. What can be done? You know what happens if Diego Schwartzman can't play the U.S. Open this <laughs> year? Nuts, man. You know. So, you know, you're looking at it and you're just like, that's why you can't, we can't harp on this. And I understand it's going, because it's going to be shitty regardless. For a lot of people, it's going to be shitty, but you have to think about what this actually does for the bigger picture in tennis, the 130X well, people that got fired. Here's the thing though, and, Noah, and here's where I disagree with you slightly, is that yeah. uh, um, it the, the US Open matters more for the US 
it doesn't matter as much for uh, Australian players or Kazakh players or, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the finances for each individual player matters. This matters very much for us because of the fact you play in the U.S. a lot. I'm obviously working at a lot of U.S. events, challengers. It matters a hell of a lot to us. It does not matter as much to say, let's, I'm just going to use John Millman because I know he's been talking about it a lot. It does not matter as much to John Millman, who's 60 or whatever in the world, whether or not there's a U.S. Open, except for the fact it potentially impacts him points-wise financially. No, 100%. But this goes into the greatest problem that corona and you know 2020 as a whole highlighted in tennis which is it is too global of a sport because now everything's an ecosystem you're saying it doesn't affect it i know more than a few europeans that survive on the usd sure. pro circuit now you don't have oracle tournaments it is solely usd pro circuit they don't have the us open don't know where they're finding that money for tournaments next year so everything kind of relies on it and you can't, how do you have this many moving parts to govern? I mean, it just seems impossible. We see it. It is impossible. So that's the number one thing that we could take away and that obviously won't be fixed because we're not fixing everything or anything, sorry. And it's this idea that we have to come to a point where we have US, we have Australia and Asia. We talked about this. We have to have that because just for governing reasoning, it is impossible to do what we're doing. It is impossible for the USTA over here to talk to somebody 24 hours away and say, hey, you're going to lose out on one of the four biggest opportunities of the year, and we don't know what to tell you. I'm not saying anybody's wrong or right in this mm -hmm. situation, but that's tennis as a whole right now, and that's why we were talking about this three and a half months ago. We were hoping that something would go in a nice direction, and we can see a difference. We're not seeing any change, and that's, that's the one thing that was highlighted for me that I was like... Lost cause. That was just blinking lights. Like if there's, if we don't get, which we can't, we can't get these seven entities to work together on any front. Where do we go from here? What do you think the cut is going to be? Um, it's obviously hmm. 120 plus eight wild cards. Um, yep. What is your guess on what the final cut will be? Uh, let's just say on the ATP side. God, that's so tough. My first guess was 155 to 160. That's that was my first initial Exactly guess. where mine has been. So, you know, I was talking to a few people and I was like, that's, you're just taking out a couple of the top guys. You're taking out a few that can't and then a few that won't. A few injuries here sure. and there. And it, and it throws you right around that section. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, we, we, you know, we're laughing about it, but it's not a joking matter. I mean, what, you know, for some reason, just because the weather is much nicer in New York, everybody's in a better mood. I'm like, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And I, and I think there's still not an appreciation for everything that's going on. I don't know if you know the answer to this, Noah. Um, yeah. If, let's say if the cut goes from 120 to 150. Does that yes. mean 30 more players receive qualifying money on the back end? Yes. You you think you do you know that or is that a no, guess? No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I I do not know. That's that's a full guess. But I, I mean, it has to assume you know you you the people that are going to lose out, you know, you, you don't get the last minute pulls pull out. So those people will get money, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. But it, you don't know who's going to pull out last minute. But you know, you have to look at it. Who would get in? So you take the final person that gets into main draw, 
and that's it. You know, that that's what you have to do because first of all, there will be people getting wild cards that are outside, obviously. So you, those people can't get money. So you have to wait for the final cutoff. Who gets the wild cards? Who's in? And then you take, you know, what is it? Uh, you know, a hundred and... So uh, it's 128 for Maine. I'm, I'm take looking. out WCs. Yeah, 120 so plus eight. eight for wild cards. Right, 120 players. So... You have to say 128 that qualifying as well. You know, do you do it that 270 players, I'm sorry, you know, 150 to 270 get money or do you give some of that to some of the players that couldn't make it? Like you don't, there's so many moving parts. And when I was talking to the US Open, I know, and I've said this to before about other people, I don't envy their position. I mean, they are not sleeping. I mean, yeah. this is just day in, day out. Um, but again, for a larger picture, of what is taking place, if they can do this in a safe environment without risking, you know, you have to assume that this is more good than bad. I will say, because um, I, I actually got asked a couple times this week if whether I would go, um, and the answer for me is a definite yes. Um, you know, it, it's it's that risk-reward calculation for me, and I, I have right. to take a little bit more risk if, if there is a, a paycheck involved. Um, right. And that's unfortunate i wish that wasn't the case um but i'm not independently wealthy and i don't have those opportunities come along too often right now so it's it's hard and i think that's going to be a very interesting and difficult risk reward calculation for a lot of people um and i don't think there's right i don't think there's wrong it's just personal and you just kind of have to uh, uh, appreciate the fact that people are dealing with this in their own way you can come uh quarantine in my place i am not going to do that <laughs> 14 days <laughs> no sunlight <laughs> and and so you do make you it I worse said, uh, you know just by being there but anyways do you think i said anything controversial enough to get another photo shoot or no i mean i i don't think that calling roger federer uh, a hack was necessarily the best decision <laughs> rewind 20 minutes <laughs> Yeah, the guy's backhand seems off lately. I don't know, man. I mean, geez, one-hander. What the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, who, <laughs> you have two. Might as well use them. Uh, I think oh, you're. God. I think you're going to yeah, be fine. I, still, I hope. Yeah, I. St I get the my favorite ones are the ones like he hasn't answered me yet. Please respond. I, I'm just like, mm, okay. There's, there's, that's what the mute button is for. So the mute yeah, and, it's fantastic. Well, because I learned my lesson. Because when I block them, because you know Jamie looks as and they talk about me blocking them. Like they're Correct. so important yes. that I had to block them. In my head, I was like, I just don't want to see your name right. anymore. Mute. They don't know you when you mute Correct. them. It's tremendous. Correct. I've had to use that yeah, a few times no, myself this week. Yeah. <laughs> but that's for another time. Um, let's see. We're about three hours away from the Tulsa rally uh, as we were wrapping up. Um, Hunker down. My... I will say I've said this so many times over the last few weeks, uh, not only to you, but to all my friends, just stay safe, stay smart, take care of yourself and your family, those immediately around you, check in with your friends, check in with your neighbors, be the best human being that you can right now in this time of incredible turmoil within our country for both health reasons and for political justice reasons. So just be kind to each other, um, be kind to strangers uh, and take care of the ones you love the most. No, that's that's a tremendous deal. And yeah, for you, Mike, please be safe. You know, this is, you know, we could joke around as much as we want, but these are definitely trying times and, you know, taking risks 
like we said, I don't think the reward is there most of the time. So let's be careful and uh, see you on the other side. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.